0: Acts 25, part two, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Sunita Bantan. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today to worship you, God, to honor you, and to see one another, God. God, um, I have studied as best I know how, but you must send your Holy Spirit. Lord, I have prayed and prepared all I know how, God, but you must preach this word. And I have written words on paper, God, but I pray that you would write them on our hearts, that we might remain faithful to you, God, in all times, especially in those difficult times, O God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's children said, amen. amen, amen. You're either going through a storm, just came out of a storm, or about to enter into a storm. This is the advice that my father's, my friend's father used to give us when we were growing up. And at the time, I thought that this was so gloomy and sad, and why would you say this to high schoolers? Um, but his point was that life was cyclical. And you could count on hard times coming your way at some point. And as I've lived a little bit longer, I realized that his words are true. You can count on challenges and difficult times to come your way. In fact, if you are a Christian, you should know by now that suffering is a part of the journey is what it means to follow Christ. As we've been seeing, it was part of the journey for Paul and no doubt will be a part of our journeys as well. So if you're in a good place right now and things are going well, praise God. And I hope that you'll star these notes and and pull them out when you need them or maybe start practicing what we're gonna talk about um, now so that you'll be prepared when life does take a turn. And for some of you, you may have had to press your way here today. You may have struggled to get here today. You may be waiting for God to speak to you. And so I do hope that today's message will encourage you. In many ways, today's sermon is part two from Pastor Peter's sermon last week. Last week, Pastor Peter talked about overcoming difficult challenges. Today, we're going to pick up with that and deal with how do we remain faithful in the midst of trying times, in the midst of difficulties, Today's passage that's been assigned a little bit long, it's Acts chapter 25, verses 23 through chapter 26, verse 32. So rather than read it in its entirety, I'm going to summarize the beginning and read remain, uh, the relevant portions throughout. So Paul is facing one of the most challenging times of his life. He's facing imminent death. He doesn't know when, but he knows it will come. The various trials that he's gone through before difficult people are prolonging the inevitable in many ways. Paul has nowhere to go. The Jews want Paul turned over to them, and they want the permission of Festus to give it to them. Paul was considered a traitor and an enemy of the Jews because he believed in the promised Messiah and he was preaching to the Gentiles. But Paul had previously appealed his case to Caesar under Felix, Festus's predecessor, pres- predecessor. And so Festus has chosen to send Paul to Caesar, but he needs to send some charges along with Paul. And so he invites King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, to be a part of the conversation trying to figure out what charges do they place against Paul as he moves on to Caesar. So Paul has to make his case again, but this time it's before King Agrippa and Bernice. No doubt Paul is tired, He's frustrated and he's scared. He's facing death. He's unsure of his fate. He's unsure of his own personal well-being. Paul is in the midst of one of the most challenging times in his life. And yet Paul does something that's seemingly uh, remarkable, but not entirely impossible. Paul remains faithful to God during this difficult time. So how does he do it? How does Paul remain faithful to God during the most difficult season of his life? First, we need to talk about what faithfulness means. Think about it for a moment. We we throw that word faithful around in church a lot. But what does it mean? We talk about God's faithfulness to us. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that he who calls is faithful and he will do it. It means that God is dedicated, dependable, and worthy of our trust. But faithfulness doesn't go just one way. God calls us to be faithful to him. It's a two-way street. It's not just to us from God. God requires our faithfulness as well. About Moses, it said he was called faithful in all God's household. It means that Moses was unchanging and thoroughly grounded in God. And that is what God requires from us. Steadfastness, unchanging, thoroughly grounded in him. It means regardless of the circumstances, we remain committed to God. In good times and bad times, our faith is unwavering and it is solid. And it is this, this type of faithfulness that we see here with Paul, even though Paul had been wrongly accused, even though he's being held as a prisoner, even though he has no allies or friends around him, Paul remains faithful to God. At any point, he could have said what the Jews wanted to hear and they would have released him. Possibly he could have bribed Felix or or done something else to win the favor and Festus would have let him go. But that's not what Paul does. Paul remains committed to God, even in the face of growing hostility and persecution. Now, most of us will never, dare I say, none of us will ever find ourselves in a situation when we are on trial and facing death because we believe in Jesus Christ. Most likely, tests of our faithfulness to God will come in other ways, and the test is not only if we will proclaim the gospel of Jesus, but if we will remain committed to God and his commandments. You or someone you love has received a terrible medical diagnosis. Do you throw up your hands and declare that that God doesn't love you anymore? Or do you run to God in prayer and speak promises of God's healing over your life? That God indeed is a healer. That by his power, we are healed of all of our diseases. Or maybe you made it past the diagnosis. But you or your loved one's health seems to be declining. Do you walk away from God in despair and resentment? Or do you pray for endurance and seek God's wisdom and comfort as you desperately wait? Your marriage is rocky and your spouse has been staying out more and more. Do you take the opportunity to explore other options with people? Or do you remain committed to your marriage? Praying for your marriage and committing it to your spouse and to God. There's infighting at your job or or in your family. Do you respond the way you want to respond in your flesh (laughs) or do you seek forgiveness and reconciliation? Maybe you've hit a financial crisis that you did not expect a lost job, an unexpected expense that's more than your savings can handle. Do you panic and curse God or do you seek after God's wisdom and proclaim him as your provider? Can you remain faithful to God during these times? How do we remain faithful to God when it gets rough? The first way we remain faithful to God during challenging times is to know your story with God. Know your story with God. If we look at Acts 26, verses 4 through 5, and then verses 9 through 18. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. This is Paul talking from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Verse nine. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went forth, waiting from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am, sending them to, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is not defending himself before charges, but rather offering his apologia, his personal testimony for a life as a Christian. Now, maybe you've heard that term before, apologetics. It's explaining why you believe what you believe and defending it. Paul is telling his testimony to Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, and anyone else who will listen. Paul is facing death because of his faith in God. And yet here he is repeating the story about how he even came to faith in God. And Paul is not just sharing about some abstract thoughts or or even an intellectual account. Rather, Paul is describing what God has done for him personally. Paul is completely honest about who he was. He says he was a zealot, but his zeal was misplaced. He was a killer and a torturer. He recounts how he used to kill Christians. He's talking about the condition he was in before he met Christ. He's talking about a need for God before he even knew that he needed God. But then he describes his Damascus Road experience. He's changed because he has had an encounter with God, an encounter in which God did not punish him for persecuting his people or beat him down into shame, but rather God gave him fresh insight and a chance to live a life on purpose for God. When Paul speaks, he's recounting what God has done for him. He speaks inside of his intimate knowledge of God and inside of Paul's story is faith and hatred and fear, but then encounter and love and calling and hope. Paul is standing before his enemies and facing death, yet he remains faithful to God because he knows his story with God. Can we do the same? I know God has done something for everyone in this room. You've been in a dangerous situation that could have led to physical harm or death, but God protected you. You've been sick with some illness before, something even minor like the flu that others didn't get saved from, but God healed you. You slept around but God saved you from HIV. You fell asleep at the wheel, but you still made it home. Relationships that you thought would never be fixed are are starting to come around. What is inside of your story with God? What does your testimony contain? Because when we can remember God and what God has done for us and lift God up in the midst of crisis and difficulties, we are participating in an act of resistance. We are firmly and intentionally resisting the pull of the enemy to take grip of us into despair and unbelief and resentment and bitterness. We are declaring that we will remain faithful to God no matter what. We are strengthening ourselves. When we remember our story, we gain eyes of faith based on the stories of the past so that we can remain secure in our present with hope for our future. God is a God of of the past and the present and the future. He's the everlasting God. We gain encouragement to move forward when we remember what God has done for us. I believe that Paul repeated his story so many times, not just for the sake of his hearers, but also for himself. He is strengthened when he remembers what God has done for him. God is not random. God did not leave him. God is faithful to him. God has a plan and a purpose for him. How does he know it? Because he can go back and see what God has done for him in the past. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. We are made stronger when we remember what God has done for us. Now, if you just did a quick Google search of the NIV version of the Bible, you would see that the word remember appears 231 times in the Bible. Now, some of those times are the Bible saying that God remembered us. But many times in the Bible, God is instructing us to remember him. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In 1 Chronicles sixteen twelve, he says, remember the wonders he has done his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. In Matthew sixteen nine, Jesus says this, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? And then again in Mark 8, verse 18, Jesus says, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Interestingly, most of the time that God is calling us to remember, he he pairs it with the command, do not fear. Being faithful is not about bravery. It's about remembering God and God's faithfulness to us. God is calling us to know our story with him, to remember it, because when we remember what God has done for us in the past, it strengthens us to be faithful to God during difficult seasons in the present. So the first thing we have to do, we have to know our story with God. And the second thing is we have to know God's story throughout history. We have to know God's story throughout history. If we go back to Acts 26, verses 6 through 8, And then verses 22 through 23. This is Paul still speaking. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? and then verses 22 and 23. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul is saying that the reason he is on trial is because of the hope and faith he had as a Jew, but now that he understands it's found in Jesus Christ. Paul says that the hope that the Jews maintained was realized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul argues that since Moses and the prophets, the scriptures have been telling them about a Messiah who would suffer, but also would rise from the dead. They had prayed for this Messiah day and night for him to come. So why now don't they believe? In this moment where Paul is on trial yet again, he understands that he must press not also into the depth of his experience with God, but also God's experience over time with humanity. And it's in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ that we see that. Christianity is not just about what God has done for me personally, what God has done for you personally. It is about who God is and God's character over time. We understand that when we know the history of God throughout time. Paul knew the Jewish faith. He knew what we would now call the Old Testament. He knew the promises of the prophets, that a Messiah would come. And it's that history. And it's that history That convinces him of God's faithfulness. Exactly what God had promised through the prophets, that a Messiah would come, did come. And his name is Jesus. We have to know the Bible. We have to know the character and history of God. Now, I'm not saying that you have to memorize the entire Bible. But what I'm hoping you will understand is that you will never learn to trust God until you know who God is. If you don't know who he is and how he works, you'll never come to full faith and trust in him. We learn the character of God, not just through our own experience, but through the experiences of others found in the Bible. Now, if you grew up in church, you might remember the Bible stories you learned as a little child. But they weren't just fun activities, some way to pass the time away. They were to form you and to teach you about the character of God. One of my favorite stories growing up in childhood is Jesus calming the stormy sea in Mark 4. It was so dramatic to me. Jesus is with his disciples on the sea in a boat. A storm picks up, and the boat is rocking and shaking, and it's taking in water, and the disciples are scared. And where is Jesus? Sleeping. Fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. And I imagine that when the disciples came and woke him up, that Jesus is kind of like yawning and, and stretching his arms. And the disciples are saying to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up and he says three words, peace, be still. That's it and the storm dies down. I think of that story and I think of the awesomeness of God, a reminder that God is always in control. Even the wind and the waves have to obey him. He's the Messiah. But a personal reminder is that when I feel like I'm being tossed around by the storms of life and and water seems to be overtaking me, that Jesus is always present with me, even if it seems like he's sleeping. And that when he gets up and he just says three simple words, peace, be still, that the chaos in my life will calm down. We have to know the history So that we can say, even if I've never been through this before, I know that God will be with me because I've seen him do it in my Bible. I've seen him do it in my book of faith. The book of the Bible is a book of faith formation. It's not a story like a a novel you'll read, but an opportunity to encounter and be formed by and build trust in the person of Jesus Christ. So how do we get to know this history of God? We have to read the Bible. There's so many Bibles and translations that can help you. There are Bibles like the story Bible and Immersed Bible that read more like novels where they don't have all the, the chapters and the headings. There are study Bibles that have all these notes and there are even some that have space so you can write your own notes. You can listen to the Bible if you don't like to sit and read it. If you can't afford one, or if you need help choosing one, please come see me or one of the pastors, we'd be happy to help you. There's no shame in it at all. But let's commit to reading the Bible. It doesn't have to be a lot, just just a little every day. Maybe you start with the stories you remember from your childhood. Maybe you start with one of the gospels. But let's commit to get to know the God we say we love. And when we read the Bible, read it with a heart of faith. Reading the Bible is not just intellectual. It's not just about knowing the stories or or even just memorizing verses to say that you've memorized them. It's about faith building. So read knowing that God can still do this right now. God can still calm the stormy seas, not just metaphorically, but actually. Sometimes we kind of create this dichotomy. We, we relegate what happened in the Bible to the past, what happened back then. But no, God is still God. That same God is still God right now. Read knowing that God can do these same things today. Because knowing who he is gives us strength when we go through challenging times. So if we want to remain faithful to God during these difficult seasons of our lives, we need to know our story, we need to know God's story throughout history, and finally, we need to rely on God's power. We have to rely on God's power. We're going to read verses 19 through 22. Paul speaking again, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Paul says that after he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he obeyed what God told him to do. He preached the gospel to the Jews and to Gentiles. And that is why he is captured and the Jews want to kill him. But he says, God helped him. And it's because of God's help that even under persecution, even facing death, even in the presence of his enemies, Paul is able to remain faithful to God. The Holy Spirit is present with Paul and it's strengthening him and holding him up. When we face challenging times, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on the power of God. To rely means to depend upon and, and to trust fully. To rely on the Holy Spirit is to trust that God is present and active in our lives. It is to trust that God's power is at work inside of you. It is to trust that God will lead you where he wants you to go and he will equip you to do exactly what he's calling you to do. Now for me, the first step in relying on the Holy Spirit is about being transformed by the renewing of my mind what does that mean it means that I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to remind me of God's word over and against what the world says or even what I might think on my own sometimes because sometimes I had the tendency to say I can't do this I can say things will never change I can say it's hopeless but the Holy Spirit reminds me to keep going because God's power is made perfect in my weakness. That he who began a good work in me will carry it on to the com- day of completion in Jesus Christ. That God is always at work. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah forty nine fifteen. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will never forget you. To rely on the Holy Spirit is to lean into God's promises and act according to his promises, even when we don't feel like it. And even when we don't know what the end is going to be. That's, why, that's what Paul does, and that's what we must do to remain faithful to God during difficult seasons of our lives. Because here's the reality, being in difficult situations doesn't absolve us from being who God called us to be and doing what God called us to do. When Paul shares his story, he doesn't just say that he's now a Christian and no longer persecutes Christians. He also says that God gave him an assignment. Paul is recounting how Jesus called him to be a preacher, a teacher, and a church planter. Jesus called Paul to preach the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. And look where Paul is. Paul is preaching the gospel to King Agrippa, a Jewish king, and to Festus, a Roman official. Paul makes it clear. He says, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. God has empowered him, especially now to remain faithful to him and to the calling that God has placed on his life. Just because we're facing difficult challenges, it doesn't mean that we have the right to give up. It doesn't mean that we have the right to not do what God has called us to do. Yes, there are absolutely times when we need to take a break and we need to step back and God will lead us in those times. But too often we hide behind challenges in our lives when God is calling us to keep ministering and keep working and to remain faithful through it all. To remain faithful is a true indicator if what we believe is actually what we believe. That it's not just words, that it's not just theory. Paul is not exempt from fulfilling his calling just because times are hard. In fact, you could make the argument that Paul does his best work under the greatest of, under the greatest of challenges. Here is Paul preaching before kings and Roman officials. Paul wrote four letters of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon in prison. And do you know why he was able to do so? Because he had nothing but the Holy Spirit to rely on. He was physically spent, but God's power was strong. In challenging times in our t- lives, when we stand firm and, and remain faithful and, and rely on the Holy Spirit, God will use us. When we have nothing to stand on but the Holy Spirit, that's when God uses us the most because we can't rely on our intellect. We can't rely on our physical strength. We can't rely on worldly wisdom. It only is God if God is calling you to a ministry, if you're you're serving, don't use a season, a, a hard season in your life as an excuse to become unfaithful or to let go of the ministry that God has you serving in. God can still use you. God still wants to use you. Only a few people know this, but I lost a very good friend of mine Tracy Harris, on September 12th, just a few weeks ago. To make matters worse, um, the day she died was also the 19th anniversary of my mother's death. Now Tracy was about um, 10 to 12 years older than I am, Um, but I actually don't remember a time that I didn't know her because we went to the same church and her mom and my mom were really good friends. Her death was sudden and a huge shock to everyone. She just never woke up one morning. And they took her to the hospital, and the doctors revived her, but they could never actually get her back to full functionality. And so within four days, she had died. Now death is not easy for anyone, but I think when you're a minister, and you are close with the person who died, you find yourself in a very difficult situation. You have your own grief, and yet you need to help guide a grieving family toward hope. Tracy's mother asked me to do the funeral. So even as I was wrestling with my own sadness and questions and all kinds of emotions like anger and fear and confusion and grief, and pressing my own way towards God's love and hope, I would have to stand before a congregation of my friends and and former church members, Tracy's mother, her, her young adult children, her friends, and lead them to a place that I wasn't sure I had even gotten to yet. Tracy was a believer. She loved Jesus. She served faithfully in the church. That was the easy part. But Tracy was my friend, and it hurt. So what do you do? I did all I knew how to do. I asked people to pray for me, and then I had to sit down and I had to ask God to remind me of his faithfulness. And he reminded me that the very first funeral I did was for the the brother of a friend who had been killed by his girlfriend's jealous ex-husband. And yet God gave me the words to speak to that family. And so I had to trust that God would do it again. I had read about God's presence in the Bible And I had experienced it in my own life that Jesus had promised always to send the comforter that God would not leave me nor forsake me that as long as I proclaimed God's word that it would accomplish the purpose for which he had sent it. That's all scripture from the Bible. That's God's history. And in those moments, I really had no option but to rely on the Holy Spirit. Yes, I had prepared words, but I had to stand before a congregation of people. And so I stood there with my hands shaking and sweat literally dripping down my body. And it was God's spirit that was at work in that moment. I would never have chosen to do that and I hope I never have to do it again But God was there and God spoke and God did what he needed to do in that moment. Now, you may never be called to eulogize a friend, but you will be called to do something that is challenging, something that pushes you to rely completely and totally on God. And the question is, will you remain faithful in that moment? Will you recall what God has done for you in your life? Will you recall God's history and God's character as spoken through his word? And will you take that opportunity to let go of yourself and rely completely and totally on God's power to work in you? Because if you do, God will use you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we know that challenging times await us all. That suffering doesn't escape us. Indeed, you said in your word that we could guarantee that it would happen. But God, you also promised in your word that you would be present with us. That you would be faithful to us. That you would empower us. And so Lord God, we ask now that you would help us to remember your faithfulness in our lives. Help us to never forget all the different places that you've shown up in our lives. God, help us to never forget your word and to truly devour it, God, to truly love it and to find our faith in your word. And God, we pray that in those moments when life is difficult, that you would give us the courage and the faith to rely solely and completely on your power, on the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every one of us. God, we thank you that your word is true. God, we thank you that you've never failed us. So for those of us going through challenging times, Lord God, help us to rely on you all the more. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now here at Metro, we know that the sermon does not end when we say amen, but there are some next steps that God wants to do with us. So if you would take out your comm card or the Metro app, I want to take you through some of our next steps. Number one, I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. That's always the first step. If you've never done that before, I invite you to do so today. You don't have to know everything about Jesus. You just have to know that God is doing a work inside of you and you want to get to know more about him. Check off that box and after service, come meet us at the next table. There's somebody there who will pray for you, who will help you learn more about God. Number two, I will write out how God has worked in my life. And I do think it's important that we write it out so we can go back to it and remember it. Because God has done something in all of our lives. Let's write it out and remember it. Number three, please send me more information on the Justice Conference. Every year, we help hope a, a Justice Conference with New York Covenant Church. It's usually in New Rochelle. This time it's in Inglewood. We hope you will join us October 17th and 18th. The topic is mass incarceration. We hope you will join us. Check that off if you want more information. Number five, sign me up to prepare and deliver a meal within the next two weeks for a Metro family of three. There's a family in our congregation, There are many families in our congregations, in our congregation who are having some challenges right now. And so if you are in a position where you can make a meal or send a meal, um, please let us know. Check that box if you've got some time the next couple of weeks to do so. We would love for you to help us. Number five, I will reread a Bible story I loved as a child and think about its relevance to me as an adult. Go back to those stories that you loved as a kid and see how God is giving you new eyes, new, new insight. Now that you're a little bit older, and you've got a little bit more wisdom under your belt. Number six, I will read Acts 27, verse 1 through 26 in preparation for next Sunday.